We're going to go on the record now on RN on the subject of government record keeping. RIMPA, which is the national peak body of record and information management professionals, wrote to the Prime Minister recently about what it says are shocking statistics highlighting major black holes in the way records are managed. It says, for example, that the volume of digital records held by the Federal Public Service has grown on average by 328% a year since 2013, and that 93% of records aren't assessed as required by the 1983 Archives Act. Act, which RIMPA says is no longer fit for purpose. Joining us to discuss these issues today is the CEO of RIMPA, Anne Cornish. Welcome, Anne. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's a great pleasure. And we're also joined by David Fricker, who was Director General of the National Archives of Australia from 2012 to 2021 and President of the International Council on Archives from 2014 to 2022. Both organisations, I'm sure, have very good archives. Welcome, David. Thank you. It's good to be with you. And first to you, Rimpa's letter was sent late last year. So speaking of government records, did you receive a response or maybe just a Christmas card from Prime Minister Albanese? <laughs> no, Julian, we didn't. I think that the letter was actually sent in October, late October, and we received a response just prior to Christmas. All right. And what does it say? It actually just sort of handballed our concerns over to a uh, soon-to-be-released data and digital government strategy, um, ah. which was supposed to be the answer, I suppose, to not all our prayers, but to provide solutions, I suppose, to everything that we had expressed in the letter. Oh, and right. um Reading the strategy, it, it certainly doesn't. Yes, yeah, and we'll come to that. David, the letter RIMPA sent makes the point that record keeping and archiving are two separate entities with different functions. I wonder if you could explain that distinction and maybe just give us an overview of the problem that we're dealing with here. Yeah, well, the big issue here, I think, and the fact that we, we got the data and digital strategy as a response to this concern is indicative of, I think, a trend you know, some years ago, the popular trend within government administration was to have evidence-based decision-making, evidence-based policy, yeah. evidence-based program delivery. But bit by bit, that terminology has been shifting, and now there's a mindset that we should have data-driven decision-making. <laughs> yep. And so the more data you collect, the better will be our decisions. You know, the more data you have, you can tip it into an AI uh, algorithm, or you can automate it, et cetera, et cetera. And the problem is that data is not necessarily evidence. And so a strategy which just, you know, focuses on collecting and, and holding data and even, even serious issues like privacy protection, but a policy that only thinks about accumulating more and more data is not going to help you collect the evidence, the actual evidence you need uh, to make good decisions, to have good policy and to deliver programs which really deliver public good for Australians. And, and this is the problem. We're, we're across the board, we're accumulating so much data, but is that data worth anything? You know, when that data is shoveled into more and more automated processes, are we going to get a better result or will it be garbage in, garbage out? And th this is the central issue. Yeah, and it seems that the digital transformation sort of changes the nature of the problem because I would imagine that archivists are saying, let's preserve things, let's make sure we don't lose anything. But one of the points that's made in your in your organisation's letter, Anne, is about the over-retention of records, both digital and physical. Could you speak to that a little, Anne? 
Yes, absolutely. So there are set um, timeframes and durations for the correct retention and disposal of records in government and, and all government departments have this policy and they should be compliant with that. What happens is, is that a lot of the, in a lot of instances, and I'm sure David can attest to this, is that government will keep records for far longer than they need to. Um, and that's purely because of the lack of resources, a lack of understanding. You know, it's not a front, you know, a viewable thing. So why not keep everything forever? It seems to be the practice that, you know, the more you keep, the better it is. And as we've seen over the last 12 months, if not more, the more information that you keep, especially in that, you know, the sensitive or the private information. Yeah, thinking about the Optus more, and Medibank leaks and those sorts of things. Absolutely. The bigger the risk is. And government hold a lot of personal information, as you can imagine. So keeping things a lot longer than you should just because you don't have the time or the resources or the money to do that is actually non-compliant and ineffective. And it puts the public at risk. Mm. So there's clear policy implications there. When you think about exponential growth, like records going up 328% a year, David, I wonder if you could unpack the different aspects of the issues. Presumably there's a, there's a sort of technical, technological aspect to just how you store volumes that great, but also security aspects as well. Yep, it is. It's, um, if you compare it to the way that we manage money, you know, in, in public administration, you know, people are very careful about when you're receiving money, you keep it in the right account, you understand who has ownership of that money, you understand who has access to the money, how much you spent, etc. Um, but information is a precious resource in 21st century Australian government, and we should be paying the same attention to the information as we do to the money. And so the differentiation here is, again, getting back to my thing about the difference between data and, and evidence, is that information should be handled in, a, in an overall governance framework, similar to you would have as a financial governance framework. Um, mm. And so all the information should be properly managed, you know, should be under proper stewardship, properly um, described and preserved for ongoing use. And as Anne said, if we accumulate it and the problem gets too big and we never get around to sort of cleaning out, doing housekeeping on all of this information we're gathering, uh, we do become more and more vulnerable to cyber attack. We become more and more vulnerable to privacy breaches, etc. And we start to use the wrong information or redundant information or duplicated information mm -hmm. for important government decision making. And the people that most need government services end up being the least represented, just because statistically there's less data about them. There's a lot to unpack there, Julian. As I said, I can, I can speak for hours about this, but these are the central things. We just have to take information seriously as a resource, as an asset for proper public administration. When I hear you speak about the sort of misuse or potential misuse of government data, it certainly seems to have echoes of the robo-debt sort of catastrophe. But could you give us any other examples, David, of how you see these sorts of issues actually playing out and the real-world consequences they can have? Well, look, robo-debt is a good, you know, lesson. It's a really tough lesson that's been learned uh, right across the Australian uh, government. Uh, in fact, governments around the world, I think, took note of that. The government recently, Ed Husick, you know, has released a, a very important um, position paper on ethical use of AI. Mm. And I think that statement from, from the minister, you know, goes a lot to this. Um, and, and those that in the industry, when they talk about artificial intelligence, they talk about hallucinations that AI, if it just derives its values, its meaning, its algorithms from 
a huge volume of unsupervised data, it will start hallucinating. It'll start producing things which it thinks is absolutely unchallenged truth, but which in fact is an absolute falsehood. And, and it does play out, in, in Australia's case, it'll play out that those less represented, say First Nations Australians, the majority of data collected about First Nations Australians are about problems. The majority mm. of data collected about people like me in Australia are about, you know, success stories. You know, it's, it's our you know, entitlements, our prosperity, etc. And so this starts to develop a picture that this sort of Australian social landscape will be perpetuated because all the data indicates that First Nations people only have problems and everybody else is, is producing prosperity. You know, this is an example of where our public administration could become quite skewed if mm. we're not properly treating information as evidence and following the rules of evidence as opposed to just having this insatiable appetite to accumulate more and more data. John, can I add to that just to, just to give you another example or two other examples? You mentioned robo-debt and obviously that was in the relation to social security, but we also had recently two royal commissions, one on the people with disability and, the, and responses to child sexual abuse, which both clearly document poor record-keeping as one of the biggest issues. It supports what David's saying about the more vulnerable people in, the, in Australia. Can I very quickly throw one more in the mix? The recent review into the uh, Cabinet release uh, issues in this year's Cabinet release by the National Archives, a problem arose where set many records from the National Security Committee of Cabinet about the, what led Australia to uh, go to war in Iraq. Mm. Uh, were not included in that cabinet release. Dennis Richardson, a very uh, preeminent former public servant, just published his review into that. And again, just backing up what Anne just said, a key finding in Mr Richardson's review is that the people in the cabinet office did not have an appreciation of record-keeping responsibilities or obligations and didn't understand uh, what was required of them to treat these records of the National Security Committee of Cabinet as proper records. We're talking about government record keeping on RN with Anne Cornish, the CEO of the Records and Information Management Practitioners Alliance, RIMPA. And we heard also there from David Fricker, former Director General of the National Archives of Australia. And we're having this conversation in 2024, but as I mentioned earlier, the Act, which governs a lot of these issues, dates back to 1983, and a lot's changed since 1983. And could you give us a sense of why RIMPA believes that the Archive Act is no longer fit for purpose? Uh, yes, the Act is, is 1983. And, and look, there's been amendments since then, but it just sure. doesn't cover off effectively and doesn't keep up to date. And I know it's difficult with the challenges with new technologies, but from a digital point of view, it just doesn't address the effective management of digital information the way it should. So and does again, it distinguish we, between physical and, and digital records? No, it doesn't necessarily distinguish because it says all formats, which is fine, but we know that digital and we know, as David's mentioned about AI and those sorts of things, it's just not keeping up to date and it's a major problem. And it, it puts, I suppose in government departments' defence, a little bit uneasy or unsure about what to do. Hmm. There's a deep systemic problem in the current legislation that, that is a factor of being pre-internet era. And as you quite rightly say, a lot has changed since 1983. And in, in fact, the legislation was drafted in the 1970s, so an awful lot has changed since then. But one key thing is that it defines Commonwealth records, so that's a government record, 
as being some information that is the property of the Commonwealth. So it's, it has this idea that a government record is a record that is the property of the government you know, department. But these days, the business of government is also done on WhatsApp. Uh, mm. It's done on third-party things. Yep. People use, you know, Gmail or X is used to promulgate government information during times of emergency or whatever. Even with uh, telecommunications companies, if people are still using text messages. So that's the business of government. And these are decisions that are changing the lives of Australians, but they are not the property of the government. The Australian government does not own X or Facebook. Mm. They are all outside the jurisdiction of the Archives Act. So It reminds me of the discussion about whether uh, former President Donald Trump's tweets were part Mm. of the official government records in in the US. And David, you're the president of the International Council on Archives. How does Australia's current approach compare to what's being done elsewhere in the world? Have we fallen behind? Well, look, I don't think we're at the back of the pack by any means, but you mentioned, you know, the USA. It's a very good example. So there is no doubt in the US uh, under federal law that those tweets are government records. They belong to the National Archives Records Administration of the USA. Mm. And, you know, we've seen all of that played out over the last, you know, how long is it, 18 months, you know, that whole investigation into Donald Trump about those secret records that he took with him to his residence. Um, yes, old-fashioned archive boxes. Indeed, yeah. indeed. <laughs> and, and so they have much stronger legislation in America, uh, certainly regarding presidential records and vice presidential records. And some years ago, I remember Hillary Clinton uh, got into some strife about yes. using a, a personal email account to do government business. They were always considered to be government records, whereas in Australia's legislation, they would be outside the jurisdiction of what would be considered to be a Commonwealth record, and they would be at, you know, jeopardy of being lost. Essential records for transparency and accountability are really at jeopardy of being permanently lost. We think of places like, well, at least I certainly think of places in the Baltics as being real trendsetters in terms of modern digital government. If Australia's in the middle of the pack, who's at the front, David? Look, I do think uh, the USA, in my experience, also because there's a similar sort of federal, you know, system of government, uh, system of democracy is, you know, there are yeah. parallels with Australia. And I think, so I do look to uh, the USA as being the strongest sort of federal government in terms of, you know, records management and record keeping and, and management of digital. Countries like Estonia are way at the front of the pack in terms of e-government and the embrace of digital technology and also uh, with the, the proper stewardship of that information. In Estonia, they realise that that is absolutely critical to the entitlements, uh, rights and entitlements uh, of all their citizens depends on the stewardship of their digital information. And there's another tack to that. Now, I know we're talking about government records, but the US also have got legislation that actually makes uh, private industry or private enterprises um, have to stand up and manage their records effectively um, with legislation such as Sarbanes-Oxley, where we don't do that anywhere near as well here in Australia, in my opinion. Mm. Mm. And you mentioned earlier the Albanese government introducing a new data and digital government strategy, and it seemed that you had some reservations about that. Could you tell us what they are? To be honest, <laughs> I just think it's a little, it lacks a little bit of substance. It lacks a lot of substance. I think it's about it talks very high level about accessibility and sharing and those sort of things, but with not a lot of detail. And I have read the implementation plan and I still think it's 
so high level enough that it doesn't answer any of our questions. And I do agree with David. I think data and records need to be separated. You know, data is there and it, it forms information, which then forms records. But data is not the answer to record keeping. David, that's the new government's data and digital strategy. There was also a major review of the National Archives, I think, during your term as the Director General. Could you tell us about that? Yeah, so that was a review by uh, Mr. David Tune, so the, the Tune review into the archives. He made several recommendations about the preservation of at-risk parts of the collection, and that was responded to with a, an injection of funding from the previous government, in fact, uh, and the current government has also added further funding to those preservation tasks. But going to Anne's point, David Tune also strongly recommended that the archives legislation be brought up to date into the digital age to make it far more contemporary, give it more teeth, such that it could be used to actually regulate, much more strongly regulate the uh, management of important government information as records, as evidence, uh, as well as, you know, updating the definition of the record, giving the archives the power to set mandatory standards to make the management of information consistent, interoperable across government. And that uh, recommendation has been picked up by the current government as well. It is government policy to review the Archives Act. But like Anne, uh, we're all sort of waiting for that uh, recommendation to be actually put into practice. And I have an issue that about the regulation or the, it's a bit of a toothless tiger act in my opinion. It's, you should do this. It's a guideline rather than a regulation. And to me, when you write policy or legislation, it's you you must do these things. And it, it's not enforced, in mm. my opinion, at all. We never hear of anybody being reprimanded or fined or government departments being hauled over the coals because they've done the wrong thing. And I, I know it, Royal Commissions document it, but it sort of seems to be that thing that's left at the end, that records management component. And I can ca categorically tell you that nearly every Royal Commission or any audit that you see, there'll be a records management component that's not been met. Mm. Mm. No, and I think, I think there's a real, there is a real case there for the authority, as, as happens in, in America, for the central agency, which in this case is the National Archives, to set mandatory standards, not only set best practice guidelines, but actually say, these are your obligations under law for the proper stewardship of this important information, which affects the lives and entitlements of, of Australians. And once that's in place, which is fine, then someone needs to audit to, to make sure that everyone is doing the right thing. And David, you mentioned that the, uh, the 1983 Archives Act was generated or developed in the 70s. How long would it take to implement the sort of reforms to the Archive Act that both of you seem to say are sorely needed? Intellectually, I think it's all, you know, in hand. I think the intellectual input is is all ready to go. So it just has to go through that sausage machine of uh, legislative drafting and committee uh, hearings, etc. So I've just been through a, a similar exercise. I was very um, privileged to be invited onto an advisory panel for the update of the Queensland Public Records Act. And that process was completed, you know, within 12 months, well within 12 months, you know, from commencement of the review to uh, assent of the new legislation. And so it's this has been on the back burner for several years now, and I think it could be picked up and taken. All it needs is a bit of, you know, will from our administration to actually make it a priority. The problem with information policy 
is that things like freedom of information, uh, open and transparent government are always at the front of mind of oppositions. But as soon as oppositions mm. get into government, <laughs> you know, they get sort of mugged by reality and they start thinking, well, hang on, hang on, you know, we can't be releasing all of this stuff willy-nilly. It'll be exposing our deliberative process. It will be making our government decision-making vulnerable, etc. And And honestly, it has to be said, as a former public servant, senior public servants generally don't see any benefit in the release of government information. They see only possibilities of backlash or whatever. There's got to be a cultural shift in our public administration. And I think that we just need to, to somehow uh, make people more relaxed, comfortable and responsible about how transparency and accountability in government can work. Well, a digital copy of this conversation will be posted on the internet by the Australian Public Broadcaster, and I'm not sure how long it should be kept <laughs> online responsibly, but well, it's been... With, with calibre of this discussion forever. Forever. Julie, <laughs> forever. <absolutely>. <laughs> <laughs> David Fricker, former Director General of the National Archives, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. And thanks also to you, Anne Cornish. Thanks very much, Julian. Appreciate it. And Anne's the CEO of RIMPA, the Records and Information Management Practitioners Alliance. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.